welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Church Was Never Like This continues in this week's message titled, How Do You Know Me? Pastor Ben Pitney is going to speak from John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. good to see you. Some of you I haven't seen in a while. It's so great to connect with you today. I am really glad that you're here. And, uh, you know, wow, the, our, the world that we live in, it just continues to kind of change a lot, right, and adjust. I was kind of doing some things uh, this week, and I felt like uh, as I was going into places, I felt like I was going backwards, right? Um, last week, I didn't have to do these things. This week, I was kind of going, my goodness, what has happened? Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that we're continually sort of adjusting to, um, obviously, the, this virus and how it's impacted us. And as our things are coming open a little bit more, we are kind of learning a lot of things. And um, so it's kind of difficult, though, isn't it? Because it seems like there's a lot of mixed messages and I'm uh, not quite sure exactly what to uh, truly believe or not. And um, I don't think so much. I think there's some intentionality with that to sort of sow discord and confusion. And some of it is just speculation. <laughs> and people are just sort of promoting it as fact. And, uh, you know, it's just all kinds of craziness. So it kind of makes it difficult to navigate, you know, what do I do? Who should I believe? How do I function in this? And I think we're going to have to continue to live like this for a time and, um, because there's a lot of narratives out there, and it's really difficult to, to know exactly which one. So I believe that um, as, as the church and as Christ followers, I think we should respond to this. I think that we should, uh, the church should try to provide some direction and guidance in the middle of this stuff that we have to navigate. And I've noticed, uh, I, I know you probably have too, that um, it seems like a lot of bad stuff is always going on, right? And, and if, you, if you're not careful, if you watch too much news, if you spend too much time on social media, I think you get out of balance and it seems like there's nothing good happening. And, and I don't believe that at all. I think really good things are happening. Really good things are happening in in churches all across the, the nation and at Vail Christian Church. We've, we've seen people come to Christ during this time. We've seen, uh, you know, folks find us online and then uh, come each week since we've been open uh, to visit us in person because they, they, they found us online and they, they feel like they want to be here. And, and, and I love that. I think that's been really good. That means that most people are recognizing, I think, uh, good things about church that, um, you know, you, you think can only happen in person. And because we're all uh, having to connect with folks, f- people, friends, family, and neighbors just differently. And um, so I think good things have happened at churches sort of forced us to think a little bit differently, right? And to go about our mission and our mandate a little different. But one of the things, you know, that, that I think has happened is uh, over this last number of years in particular, is the, our culture, I would say our nation and our world, 
um, in particular, uh, wants you to choose a side. Have you noticed that? Everything's all about you got to choose a side. And uh, politically, just uh, views of all kinds of stuff in particular, right? And uh, you're, you, you're, you're sort of forced into, I got to choose a side. And then by and large, you have to buy into all of what is on that side. Or you get highly criticized or scorned even or ostracized. Have you noticed that then if you don't choose a side in, the right, in, in a certain environment, then, you, man, you can really pay for it. And have you seen, like, people being fired or laid off or, um, you know, just shunned, uh, employees, coaches, teachers, professors? It's, it's just kind of crazy. Now, I don't think it's just a huge wave of it, but um, advertisers pull advertisement if you're not, you know, if you share the wrong view. Social media blocks you if they don't like what you're saying. I mean, it's kind of nuts just what happens. So our culture wants you to choose a side. And, uh, and, and if you don't, you're just kind of like silence is, you know, have you seen that one? It's kind of trending a little bit. Silence or not saying anything is, is, is racist or saying certain things is, I mean, it's, it's just kind of crazy. So what, what should the church do? What do Christ followers do? How do you navigate through all of that? I think that the, it's, it's easy if you're not careful to get out of balance and recognize that actually... When you, when you go to the truth, when you go to the, the, the scriptures and you, you unearth God's heart, Christ followers in the church are, the, the last thing that we're supposed to do is, is sort of choose a side like, like the world wants you to do, in, in, in particular in a political nature. There's a, there's a view and an understanding in a, and, and, uh, that, that God has, and that's the side, <laughs> that Christ followers are supposed to cling to and adhere to and to follow. And uh, it's not that we're, you know, there's, no, there's not a time to march, there's not a time to protest, there's not a time to kind of stand your ground kind of thing. I, I, I think there is, but, but we got to bring balance to what is it that truly matters to God? And I'm not being snarky about that, but what is it that God wants us to do? Um, and and uh, we just kind of, I think we need to be really careful about what we post, what we like, what we share, what we support, what we, you know, what we lend ourselves to without putting it through this lens of what is God's heart? How does God see this? What is important to him? What matters to him in this scenario? You know, you can, uh, I just think that you can get out of balance really quickly. So, my intention is just to continue to help us with that, and let's draw the truth out of the text so that we, we can see things clearly and understand things clearly from God's perspective and, um, and continue to fulfill our mission and our mandate as a church, as Christ followers. In the middle of all of this upheaval, I think that, there, that uh, more than ever, things are ripe for us to do some things that the Lord, uh, I, I think, has commissioned us, commanded us, challenged us, and included us to do. This is, the, if, if, if now is not the time, then when is it, right? Because I, I think that we can bring clarity. 
So what I want to do today is I want to drill the truth out of the text just like always. I want you to turn to uh, John chapter 1, and that's where we're going to be today. Uh, we're going to come back to our series in Colossians, and, and we're, we're about halfway through that. But I want to, today, I want to take one more Sunday to just address, I think, kind of where our nation is wrestling the most, because I think we need, to, we need the tools to respond uh, correctly. And I think that if you're, if you're paying attention, I think that you'll find some nuggets. I think you'll find one central red dot in the middle of the target today. And I think you'll be able to say, see more than just one perspective. And uh, I, I like that about sort of this story and the nature of what happens here in this interaction with Jesus. So John chapter 1, and we're going to start with um, verse 43, okay? Let's read that together. In verse 43, this is another scene where Jesus is calling more of his disciples, and he says, on the next day, Jesus wanted to set out for Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the town of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael replied, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So Philip replied, come and see. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael come and coming toward him and exclaimed, look, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asks him, how do you know me? And Jesus replies, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answers him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus says to him, because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. He continued, I tell all of you the solemn truth. You'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, there's a lot of really great context here that I kind of want to unpack. But can I just sort of preface some of this with, in the, in the series that we have been in, in Colossians, um, one of the things that I think that uh, you got to keep in mind is that in, in, throughout Paul's letter, he, he talks about um, when you come to Christ, what is required of you. He revisits that, repeats those things over and over again. And so Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, he says, so put to death whatever in your nature belongs to the earth. Put that to death. Whatever belongs, you know, right here that's, that, that, that belongs to your natural man, this sinful world kind of stuff, you got to put those things to death. Whatever's in your nature then. And he, uh, he mentions evil desires, which would include the spontaneous desire to avoid others, to criticize others, to belittle others, to hurt others because of their ethnic differences in particular. Okay, so 
We're going to continue to talk about this racial harmony, racial issues that are sort of kind of plaguing us right now quite a bit. And how, we're, how are we supposed to navigate and respond in all of these things? When you look at the context of this story with Jesus and Nathaniel and Philip, I think it's easy to, to, to focus on Jesus for a few minutes and recognize that the divide couldn't have been larger between sinful human beings and the Son of God. When it comes to Jesus being the Son of God, being God, and human beings, I mean, the divide is just huge. Like a human as compared to an ant. It's even bigger and greater than that. That doesn't even do it justice. But Christ didn't despise us. He didn't, that, that's not the way he acted or lived. He came to us. He loved us. He died in our place to give us life. And he did all this when we were more alien to him than anyone has ever been alien actually to us. So when we feel or think or act with disdain or disrespect or avoidance or exclusion or malice toward a person, simply because he or she of another race or another ethnic group, that's what they belong to, or they have a different opinion or a different view or a different way of looking at things, right? I think that we are, in effect, saying that Jesus acted in a foolish way towards us. So... That's kind of the context I want to set up. And, and what I, I hope today is to help us remove some subtle self-justification things. We self-justify all the time, and it's actually really subtle. And I think you're going to kind of see. So that's kind of my goal, actually, for just a few minutes. I want to try to remove one of the subtle self-justifications we use to protect the sinful prejudices in our hearts. And we all do this, right? Before I tell you the subtle self-justification and what it is, before we get to it, I want you to know that it is in all of us. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity. It's not just in some of us. It's in all of us, actually. And I want us to focus on a particular part of the text that I read from John 1, and it's not the main point. It's an implication relevant, I think, to our scenario that we live in. Are you ready for it? Here it comes. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is what comes out of Philip's mouth, right? In verse 43, what happens is Jesus calls Philip. I I meant this is what comes out of Nathaniel's mouth. Because in verse 43, Jesus calls Philip to be his disciple. And in verse 45, actually, Philip finds Nathanael and says to him, hey, we found the one uh, Moses wrote about in the law, and and the prophets also wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, right? In other words, Philip has believed Jesus as Messiah. He's believed. And he's eager for Nathanael to know him as well. He really wants Nathaniel to, to, to see and understand this. He identifies this guy written about Moses and the prophets by calling him Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. He identifies Jesus with a town and a group of people who live in that town. Nazareth is a small town, probably about 2,000 people. 
And um, the Old Testament is clear, though, that Messiah would be from Bethlehem of Judea. Micah 5.2. For whatever reason, Nathaniel responds to Philip's announcement, though, in verse 46, and he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And the answer that Nathaniel is, expects is no. No. See? His question amounts to a foregone conclusion. Nothing good can actually come out of Nazareth. So, it's pretty obvious to ask this question. What was Nathaniel's mistake? Because it seems like this is a mistake, right? Well, the, the mistake is Nathaniel's actually wrong. Jesus does come out of Nazareth. He is good. Nathaniel's going to have to eat his words really soon, actually. But here's the question. What was the nature of Nathaniel's mistake? And one way to describe it is, uh, would be to say that it, it, it was sinful prejudice against the people of Nazareth. That'd be one way, right? He had what we call a stereotype of people from Nazareth, and uh, he made a judgment or a determination about Jesus based on that negative stereotype. And he was wrong. We're going to come back to that in a moment and ask, what is sinful about that, okay? Because th there, there's so much more here. But the next thing I want to introduce you to is, is it's called probability determination. And those are kind of my words, and they feel a little clunky, but I think they best describe what I want to talk about. Probability determination. Because there's another way to describe Nathaniel's mistake. See, Nathaniel did what we all do actually every single day. We all do this. He made a generalization based on multiple experiences and biblical evidences, actually. And then he formed a conclusion based on that generalization. My experience is that folks of Nazareth are ordinary. They're even difficult. They could be obstinate and ornery. And that might be a kind way of saying it. And by the way... I don't see in the Old Testament that Messiah can come from Nazareth. I mean, all the verses I read say Bethlehem. So from those general observations, I think it highly improbable, if not impossible, that this Jesus is Messiah. Now, I hope you can see that from Nathaniel's perspective just a little bit. Because actually, life depends on generalization or generalizing. But before I get to how life depends on it, you know, I grew up in this little town in northern Arizona, and I can tell in one conversation if you're from there without you even telling me if you're from there or not. I can tell you if you have, because I grew up there. Because people who are not from there and didn't grow up there, they pronounce the name of the little town that I grew up in in the 60s, 70s, and the 80s, almost to the person, they pronounce it Prescott. Prescott. But if you grew up there, you call it Prescott. You can try to fool me about it, but usually people kind of grin about it a little bit, you know, and I'm like, ah, you're not from Prescott. 
And, and that's okay. You're just not from there, right? Lynn and I lived in uh, Northern California for a long time and uh, in San Jose in the Bay Area. And there's a bedroom community in the Bay Area that we spend a lot of time with. It's really close to where we lived, and it's a really nice, beautiful place, right? Really beautiful. And if you live there, you call that little bedroom community Las Gatas. Everybody, I don't care who you were, you call it Las Gatas. Well, if you pronounce it correctly, in, in, in particular, it's Spanish, it's Los Gatos, right? So, uh, so you can tell if you're not from there really easy by that too. When you start talking to people, right? Yeah. But the, this way of thinking, you know, life depends on generalizing. Generalizing from, a, from the particulars of our experience and drawing probabilities on that basis is both inevitable and it actually can be really good. The human brain inevitably works this way. In fact, our life depends on it working this way. So before you just go, oh man, and you lump it all into, you can't do that, you can't generalize. It's ridiculous because our brain is designed to actually generalize and, and probability determination is a big deal actually. You observe carefully, let me give you an example, uh, that spiders with certain features are poisonous. Yeah, let's talk about spiders. So when you encounter uh, you know, a, a spider like that, you avoid it and you smash it or you get somebody to do it for you. It happens in my house all the time. Okay? And by the way, it doesn't matter what the spider is. It doesn't matter. You've never been bitten by that particular kind of spider, but you see it as belonging to a general class that in the past experiences that you've had, it's been poisonous, and so you form a probability determination, and you refuse to get close to it, and you're not going to let it live, right? Your well-being depends on it, and not treating this individual spider in isolation from your experience of others like it. So you squish it, and you get rid of it, and it can be dead as dead, and you still flush it down the toilet. Because what if it comes back to life? It crawls out of the trash can. Somehow, you know, it's like Spider-Man. He doesn't actually squish so sometimes your judgment seems totally legitimate and it actually proves to be dead wrong. You form a generalization that the wash is safe to cross. You know, we live in Tucson, it's everywhere. We call them dip crossings. You can always tell when somebody's from someplace else and they're like, how come there's no bridge? Because you, there would be a bridge over every road every other minute, and you would be driving over bridges. The whole town would be a bridge if you lived here. So there are dip crossings. There's one behind my house. And my neighbors who own the house behind me, you know, they're so aggravated that there's no bridge over that. And well, I'm like, if you built a bridge over that to get to your house, it would cost more than your house. You know, so that's why it's a dip crossing. Just, you know, there's going to be sand in there once in a while. So, so aggravated about the sand, you know, and that it, oh, like, it's Tucson. It's a wash, right? 
So, but here's what happens. Here's what happens. You've crossed washes a thousand times. The county and the city seem to keep the sand and debris off of the road regularly, and it's only filled with running water just for a few moments at a time. You generally see it when it does rain, and it hardly ever rains in Tucson. And then, and then when it does, it's only inches of water, right? But, uh, you know, on July 13th, 2019, you make a judgment to cross in safety. And lo and behold, KOLD News 13 captures the picture. Your probability judgment is wrong, but was it sinful judgment or not? It was well warranted. I mean, I've never seen it like this, right? And so if you live in Arizona, you find this magnificent thing called the stupid motorist law. I say, you really love that law, right? I really love that law. Here it is. And so uh, the state of Arizona, it states that any motorist who becomes stranded after driving around barricades to enter a flooded stretch of road may be charged for the cost of their rescue. Section uh, 28-9110 of the Arizona Revised Statutes. It's a real law. And you can get a ticket, and KOLD will be there to show you this. And then we all see him on TV, and you go, ha, ah, the guy is stupid. <laughs> totally stupid, right? And then there's, a, there's the guy kind of like, hey, I got to get a shovel now. Uh, I don't know why a shovel. It's, what am I, break the window to get you out or something, um, Right? Oh, I made it. I made it. Look, that makes you do it again. I made it. I made it. Clear on the other side, right? He's coming out, right? Stupid motorist law. I don't know. Somehow we just, Tucson really, I mean, we just, how many love that law? See, you all do. Unless you're the stupid motorist. Generalization can be just a horrible mistake as well. Years ago, I, uh, I, I like to hunt, I like to fish, and um, the Apache Indian Reservation is one of the most beautiful places on the planet, in my view. The, sort of the south side of it and the north side of it, it's just enormous. It's a beautiful country. You can hunt on it, and um, there's things you have to go through, but years ago, a guy was brought um, in from deer hunting on the Apache Indian Reservation with an arrow through his back, straight through his heart, and coming out his chest. One of his own hunting buddies had shot him by accident with a bow and arrow. How? He formed a probability determination that something brown and gray moving in the bushes must be a deer, and he was wrong, dead wrong. So now... Since then, you know, that was a long time ago. You might sound kind of crazy, but you didn't have to use um, or wear blaze orange while hunting. And now you can be sighted um, so many places on the reservation and in Arizona and all across the nation. You have to wear blaze orange. It's not exactly, you know, going to help you find deer, but it's going to keep you from getting shot, somebody thinking you're a deer, right? Because deer don't wear blaze orange. 
I don't know if you knew that. Jesus, though, he doesn't condemn generalization. Did you notice that at all? He doesn't, he doesn't actually condemn it. And I want you to see this. Uh, we, we, we do and we must think this way. Generalization is, a, is, a, is important. Probability determination is a part of us. All right. So Jesus once commended this way of thinking in a kind of backhanded way. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they test him by um, asking for a sign from heaven. And Jesus isn't happy about this because he'd given them enough evidence and he knew their request was from the hardness of their heart. So this is what he says in Matthew chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. You can turn there and, and, and see it. He says, he says, when evening comes, you say, it'll be fair weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, it'll be stormy today because the sky is red and darkening. You know how to judge correctly the appearance of the sky, but you cannot evaluate the signs of the times. In other words, this is what Jesus is saying. You guys are really, really good at generalization about the natural world informing probability determinations from the way the red morning sky precedes a storm and the red evening sky precedes fair weather. You've studied the world and you're good at this way of thinking. It works for you. But when it comes to seeing spiritual reality, though, you're blind. So what you see here is Jesus doesn't condemn this universal way that the human brain learns. That's not what he does. From experiences, right? Informs probability determinations. He actually doesn't condemn the way we naturally think. He gets to actually the heart of the matter, right? So probability determining can become sinful prejudice, though. We know this. So what about Nathaniel? Let's go back there. Philip says in, in, in verse 45, in John 1, 45, we found the one that uh, uh, Moses wrote about in the law, right? And the, and the prophets also wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel answers in verse 46, can anything... Come, uh, good come out of Nazareth. In this, non, uh, is this a non-sinful, fully warranted probability determination that proved to be wrong? Like judging the wash to be safe proved to be wrong? Or is Nathaniel guilty of sinful prejudice? Which one is it? Well, listen, I, th I think he's guilty. But here's why. Because he doesn't say, can the Messiah come from Nazareth? He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's pretty subtle, isn't it? But it's the way it works with all of us. If his heart were right, gracious, loving, patient, hopeful towards people of Nazareth, right? He might have been legitimately skeptical about whether the Messiah would come from Nazareth, but he would have probably not have said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel has moved from legitimate probability determination to sinful prejudice, just like that. His view of these people is so negative that he sweeps all of them into a stereotype, including Jesus. His reaction is immediate. He doesn't consider the possibility that actually Philip might know what he's talking about. He is temporarily blinded by his prejudice. 
And I want you to know that you got to be still careful here. Before you go like, yeah, you know, start wielding all this around, you got to be careful because you, there's something I want to point out here, judging by his glory, not his group. First, see, Philip doesn't argue. He simply says, you, you, don't, don't leave out what Philip says. He says, hey, come and see. Come and see. He doesn't argue. He says, come and see. And he, he doesn't go, hey, you know what? That's racist, dude. Did you notice that? He's not hammering in. Hey, you're racist. He doesn't do that at all. And I think that's really, really subtle too and important. You got to be able to see both things here. In other words, give the guy a chance. Give the guy a chance. Judge him by his glory, not his group. In verse 47, now watch what Jesus does. Verse 47, Jesus see, sees Nathanael, and, and he sees him coming, and he says, look, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. In other words, Jesus acknowledges that Nathanael is honest. He's not deceitful. What you see is what you get, so he's teachable. I mean, is that where, do we do that? Or do we just jump, you see, because everybody's got to make a choice. You're obviously one way or the other if you're not careful, and you just kind of like just react. And so Nathaniel asked, how do you know me? And Jesus replied, well, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And with that, the stereotype is completely shattered right there. Nathaniel knows he's wrong, and he changes his mind. And, he, and, and then you see what he says? He says in verse 47, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Just like that, everything's changed. Those really simple, easy kind of things to say, but they're so subtle. We got to I think this is really a big deal here because the line between probability determination and sinful prejudice, what is it? Where's the line? How do you know what the line is? Is it a big old fat line? Is it a red line? Is it, or is it really fine? Because here's the point. It's a fine line <laughs> between legitimate probability determination and sinful prejudice. It's a really fine line. It's not that easy to see. We can do it all that we just do it all the time. It's a real line, and God sees it even when we don't. And my concern in this message today is to plead with you not to let the legitimacy of probability determination, you know, and that function in your heart and, and, and a subtle, subtle justification to, to become sinful prejudice. That's my concern. But it's also risky to talk like this, too, because you can wield it around, you know, whatever, if, if, if you want to in a, in a powerful way to kind of polarize things as well. So I know it's risky to talk about this because there's people who hear this and the hardness of their heart, they're going to take the words about generalizing and, and probability determination and use them as cover for their own prejudices. Or you can use the truth to kind of cover things, too, for your political sort of views and you know, all that kind of stuff, right? I just want to challenge us. 
I want to challenge transformed, believing Christ followers. I want to challenge sinful folks, just like myself, that have remaining corruption in their heart. I'm challenging you to hear and say, yes, thank you for helping me and see the subtlety of my own sin. I got to put this to death. I got to put this to death. Now, can you go back to Nathaniel just for a second? I mean, did you see? The guy's heart was really good. It was really good. I don't think he was a racist. I think he just did what we all kind of naturally do. Obviously, Philip, though, had a really great way of helping him unearth that, or he never would have maybe come to see Jesus. I just think that's a really big deal. And if anybody had, had the ability or right to pummel somebody for lumping everybody all together, would it, wouldn't it be Jesus? <laughs> that's not what he did. So, Christ followers, if you have sworn allegiance to the king, your heart is good and transformed. Why? We struggle, we're going to struggle inevitably with this generalization stuff and probability determination and sinful prejudice, but the heart that's received Jesus and knows forgiveness has the Holy Spirit living right here. This is where he lives and dwells, and that means you have a good heart. So before I just turn this all around and make you feel guilty, let's talk about the good heart. What has this got to do with me? Number one, the good heart desires to know people and treat people for who they really are as individuals. That's the good heart, right? Not simply as a representative of a class or a group. If this wasn't true, Jesus could never be recognized for who he really is. You desire, really desire to know people and treat people as individuals, not as samples of their own group. So let's, let's focus on our good hearts as well as well as killing all the, uh, all the sinful deceit. Number two, the good heart is willing to take risks to act against the negative expectations and belittling stereotypes when dealing with a person. The good heart does that. Paul said, love believes all things, hopes all things, right? 1 Corinthians 13 is famous. And I think he meant that love strives to believe and hope for the best, not the worst, in everyone. And then last, the good heart is ready. Like Nathaniel, the good heart's ready to repent quickly and fully when we've made a mistake and judged someone wrongly. Our hearts are deceitful. They are. So it's a battle each and every day for the Christ follower. We have to die to self every day. It's a battle. It's a war. Corruption remains. We got to put it to death. We got to put it to death. That's our role inside the church and outside the church. Die to self every day. And we got to pray continually that the Lord would give us absolute honesty with ourselves and with him. And expose every remnant of sinful prejudice and get to the point where we don't use the legitimacy of generalization to cover the sin of prejudice. 
so that the glory of Christ can shine in our lives. And like we said last week, we don't hide the cross. We don't hide the work of Christ. And we don't dishonor any of that. We get to rise above all of these things. So yeah, be careful what you post. Be careful what you share. Be careful what you like, retweet, you know, all those things. Yeah, I think you've got to be really careful. I think there's so much better things. And I'm not saying you just like we all hide and, you know, we don't, there's no place to stand your ground and kind of, you know, stand up. I think there's even a place to march. There's time to protest. There's all these things. But I think we're to be different because our allegiances belong to Jesus, not to a side necessarily, politically in particular. Our, our side is the way God thinks, the way Jesus thinks. So that people might interact with us and go, you know what, something different about you. Can't explain it, but I want what you got. How do I get that? Well, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Bow your head with me. Thank you, Lord. These are days that are difficult and tumultuous, but they're still good days and and good days uh, that allow us as the church to be effective. The days are ripe, so help us to fulfill our mission and our mandate the commands that you've given us. Thank you, God, for including us. Help us not to hide away, but engage with the world that we love and that we care about. As difficult as it is sometimes, help us see the good hearts in people, in particular amongst ourselves, so that we can be an effective, unified body that represents you well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Join us next week for Father's Day. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.